Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, Executive Recruiter, Director of Recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And today, I have a really great topic for you guys. You're going to be so excited when you hear who I have on board with us today. So let me get right to the introduction. So today, I want to welcome Dr. Gleb Sipersky, CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts and internationally recognized thought leader. Yes, all that. Gleb has more than 15 years of experience in academia as a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist. economist. Try to get it right. There's a smart guy about to come on. And he also writes for Inc. Magazine, Time, Scientific American, Fast Company, and Entrepreneur. His mission is to protect leaders from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive biases by developing the most effective decision-making strategies. He is also a best-selling author and most recently published his latest book, which we're going to talk about, called Never Go With Your Gut. How counterintuitive is that? Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. Gleb, thank you so much for being here with us today and for, you know, working through all this little, these little technical difficulties with us. No worries. And thank you so much for inviting me, Casey. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, I am pretty excited that you said yes. I mean, you are quite the thought leader and, you know, you are always, I always see you popping up on my LinkedIn as publishing new <laughs> articles that are so helpful to everybody, especially during this time. Mm. Yes. The pandemic is a very difficult time and folks need more help than ever in making good decisions because especially during times of disruption like the pandemic, we make particularly bad decisions with our businesses and with our careers. And we need to protect ourselves from these problems. Absolutely. So before we dig into the meat of our show, I always like to share with my audience how I met someone because I think it's so important that you track those connections. And I'm starting mm -hmm. to think that all connections lead back to Frank again. No, Agin. I have to make sure I say his name right. So I believe he was the one that introduced us. Yes, he was. And uh, I went on his podcast, which was great. And then he thought I would be a good fit for your podcast. So that's how we got introduced. Frank is great and I really enjoy his company. And he's a great person to know for networking. He's an excellent networker. So if you want to improve your networking skills, check out his podcast and his work. So, and he was actually on our podcast as well, not too long ago, talking about, uh, you know, ex exactly that, the why it is so important to network. And I think, again, I hate going back to this pandemic, but right now it is about who you know, you know? Indeed. And so Indeed. you've got to be doing the networking. So, but I really want to dig into your topic today and see, you know, what it is we can share with our audience and how we can help them in their job search or even just in their life search. Cause I think this applies mm -hmm. in every area. So, you know, I, I'm, and we mentioned your book earlier, and I'm really excited because it addresses some of the difficult topics business leaders face. Um, and you talk about business disaster quite a bit. So can you kind of just give us a definition, sum that up for us? Sure, of course. A business disaster 
for career disaster, same thing, is anything that significantly negatively impacts your bottom line. Whether in your personal career, make a bad decision that impacts that, something harmful to it, or in your business as you're running your business, anything like that is a business disaster. And when we look at business disasters, what we see when researchers like myself look at them, they come overwhelmingly from our decisions, from us. We are responsible for our own disasters. There are two types of decisions that lead to a disaster. One is an active decision. So we actively make a decision that leads to, <laughs> eventuates in a disaster, whether one major decision or a series of poor decisions. Whether it's a bad merger and acquisition or a bad career change, or we launch a new search for, we launch ourselves in a startup at a bad time, about half all startups fail. That is a career disaster or and a business disaster. And of course, the other type of decision that leads to disasters is when we fail to make a decision that we should have made, that we mm. should have noticed the disaster. So for example, I was doing career, career coaching for one of my clients about four months ago, and she was kind of in a tough spot. She was a regional manager of a major financial institution of lending company, and she, so she was well off. She made 200,000 a year, but she kept getting passed over for promotion time and time again. And she was feeling kind of frustrated about this, increasingly frustrated. So she was thinking about this, we're talking about it, and but she wasn't ready to move on. So I asked her to imagine what she would want to see herself be five years from now. And she had a very negative visceral reaction to imagining herself being in that same spot, kept being passed over for promotion and promotion time and time again. But you know what? I can tell you that she thought one day at a time, one week at a time, which is how she was previously approaching it. You know, she was afraid to let go of a really good thing. At $200,000 a year, she liked the colleagues and so on. That's a pretty good thing. But she was afraid to let that go and really focus on her long term. But now that we talked and she made the realization that she doesn't want to be there in the long term, she was much more ready to take the leap and find a new position. So that's the kind of bad decision making that we tend to make when we focus on the immediate day to day short term perspective. And so that's the kind of decision making where we avoid making the decision that we need to make. And that results in the disaster of us being stuck in a dead end job for a long time. I love that you just used the technique of visioning because, and, and you used it in a different way than what I'm used to seeing it used in coaching in that you, instead of having her vision, what she wanted her life to look like when in five years, you made it very specific and said, show me, think about what it's going to look like if you're still here in five years. Mm -hmm. So what a powerful way to use that coaching tool. I like that. So. Learned something new today. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. That's one of the ways that we you want people to be able to think, tap into their emotions and see what rings true to them five years from now. Because I, like I said, I think she would still be there five years from now if we didn't have that conversation and she would not realize. That's kind of one of the ways that we function as human beings. We procrastinate on making important decisions because there's a short-term pain to making these decisions at the cost of a long-term gain. That's one of the problematic cognitive biases, dangerous judgment errors that we experience called hyperbolic discounting. Hyperbolic discounting, that's a fancy term for saying that we are very short-term oriented as human beings. That's what how our gut is wired. When we make decisions with our gut, when we what we feel is right, 
then we go for the short term. We don't think about the long term nearly enough and we sacrifice what is actually good for us, what is good for our lives for the sake of short term, avoiding short term pain. Interesting. Okay, so that makes a little bit more sense about the title of your book now. But, and your book also is written to help people, like you said, avoid terrible advice, cognitive biases, and poor decisions. And how have your experiences led to creating this approach to decision making? Well, what happened was that I observed some bad decisions when I was a child in my own family. And that started off my fascination with decision making. So for example, my parents, my mom, she really liked to buy nice clothing. So she'd go out, she'd buy a hundred dollar sweater. My dad was unfortunately kind of a cheapskate. So she'd come home and he'd yell at her and say, no sweater should be worth over $20. You know, and then she'd bring up how he keeps leaving the toilet seat up. And then she, <laughs> and then he'd bring up something else and then they go at it. They're fighting their endless fights. As a kid, that was painful for me to see my parents having these fights and just you know, the emotional pain rebounded on me, obviously, as a kid. But what was even more painful in a way was that they kept having the same fights over and over again without either of them changing their behavior and the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting different results. But, you know, my mom kept buying nice clothing, my dad kept yelling at her, and they just hurt each other. So seeing that they made terrible decisions it helped show me that my parents clearly weren't gods, unlike, you know, little kids who tends to think. And that helped me see that, hey, the, the adults make bad decisions. So, but nobody sat me down and say, hey, kiddo, here's how you make good decisions. You know, when I got to school, elementary school, middle school, high school, nobody taught me that. It's not taught in college either or business school. So I decided that I want to study this topic. I want to understand why do we make such bad decisions and why do prominent business leaders make such bad decisions? I came of age around the dot. I was born in 1981. I came of age around the dot-com boom when I was 18 in 1999, when tech leaders from companies like Webband, Pets.com, Boo.com were partying like it's 1999, for those who remember <laughs> that Prince song. Maybe that ages me. No, and just not a couple, at all. <laughs> and just a couple of years later, in 2001, 2002, when I was 21, they all went bust. All of these companies went bust. So all the tech leaders who are praised as genius decision makers in 1999, you know, the heroes of Wall Street Journal, were now the zeros of the, in the Wall Street Journal. And nothing changed. It's not like they became suddenly worse and terrible decision makers. It's just that the situation changed around them. And so we see, and I saw that it's not about someone who has magical decision making skills ending up as a leader. People get lucky, people get unlucky, but they don't know how to make good decisions. So I studied decision making. I went into studying this topic and I had to go into academia pretty quickly because there's very little good material out there in the popular literature about making decisions. It's all about going with your gut, trusting your heart, you know, to quote Tony Robbins, be primal, be savage. You know, what does that mean? It means do what's, you, what's, what's comfortable to you. And that, when I looked at the cognitive neuroscience and the behavioral economics, Cognitive neuroscience is the study of how our brain functions. Behavioral economics is how we behave in economic situations. I realized that these dense academic books, articles, show that we make pretty terrible decisions when we go with our gut intuitions because our gut is not wired for the modern environment. That's not what it's wired for. So we make pretty terrible decisions. And so that's when I started talk talking about this topic, studying it, 
consulting, coaching, and training business leaders. I've been doing that for 15 years. So for 20 years, I've been coaching, consulting, and training. For 15 years, I spent in academia. Then I spent some time outside of academia. But that's the summary of my experience has been expressed in my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. That's about your business within the context of a business mm -hmm. and for your personal careers, how you make good decisions as well as your finances. And, and I think that is so important that, you know, business leaders need to, you know, listen to this and listen to what you're saying about not going with your gut and making those intentional decisions. I think that they are, you know, this would only help them. Um, I mean, you, you tell me, like, if I'm a business leader and I take this entirely different approach to instead of going with my gut, now I'm not going with my gut. How is that going to affect my business differently? You will not experience the situation of all, let's say you're, you're starting up a new business. Mm -hmm. About half of all startups fail within the first five years. About three quarters of them fail within the first 15 years. That's three quarters of them and half of them, you know, within that timeline. Do you want, which half do you want to be in? Which quarter do you want to be in? Do you want to be the people who succeed or the people who fail? Well, I can tell you that you're much, much more likely to be in the quarter who fail in the 75% uh, who fail within the first 15 years if you go with your gut reactions. So one of the big top two reasons, so one of the biggest reasons is a lack of fit of product to market. So this lack of fit comes when a business leader is very excited about their product and they feel with their gut reaction that the market will want it. That's mm -hmm. how it feels. That's how that feels. And they're confident, they're optimistic, and they go forward. And that's not what the market wants, and they haven't taken the time to evaluate and make a good decision about what the fit of product to market will be. The second biggest reason, so if, let's say there is a fit of product to market, is that you run out of money before you make your business profitable. And that again comes from bad decision making, where you don't realize the kind of problems and risks that you're going to run into when you're starting up a new business. Again, optimism over confidence, we can talk about that. So top two reasons, if you don't fall into those reasons, you're so much more likely to succeed. And that's for businesses that are starting up. Now for large businesses, there was a study of top businesses, businesses that had over 500 million in assets that went bankrupt from 1981 to 2007. So this is before the fiscal crisis, just during kind of more regular times. And what the study found, 429 businesses that went bankrupt in the US, what the study found was that 45% of these bankruptcies were due solely to bad the strategic decision-making by the leadership, where the leaders made really bad strategic decisions. So again, this is top companies, this is not small companies, this is, this is the largest companies that went bankrupt. Came from purely bad decision-making, 45%. You want to avoid that. You So even in big businesses, this is a huge issue. And of course, that applies to all businesses in between and to your individual personal career as an executive, as a professional. You want to avoid these sorts of problems. So you'll be much, much more likely to make the best decisions, the wisest and most profitable decisions if you don't go with your gut, if you don't trust your intuition. And that is incredibly counterintuitive. Of course, I know that what I'm saying is completely counterintuitive. But think about this. When you trust your intuition, you go with what's comfortable, with what feels right. And we so often make mistakes when we go with what's comfortable, when we go with what feels right, 
that are called cognitive biases. And I can talk about that. But that is an incredibly dangerous thing for you to avoid. Yeah, let's talk about that for just real quick, your cognitive biases. So cognitive biases are the specific dangerous judgment errors we make because of how our brain is wired. And we have to understand that our brain is wired not for the modern environment. Our gut reactions, our intuitions, our feeling, our heart, whatever, they are wired for the savannah environment. You know, the modern environment has been around only since World War II. And we are wired, our instincts, those gut intuitions are wired for the savannah. When we lived in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people. And when our primary threat response, for example, is the fight or flight response, even now, mm -hmm. that's the fight or flight response. Now, in the savannah environment, that was great when the risks we faced were intense, immediate, in the moment. You might have heard of them as the saber-toothed tiger response. We had to jump at 100 shadows to get away from the one saber-toothed tiger. Well, in the modern environment, that's really problematic when you have to jump at a, when you jump at 100 shadows. That is not a good response in business to have the flight response or the fight response. Imagine, let's say you're getting an email with some constructive critical feedback from your supervisor, or if you are the supervisor from a client. What is the intuitive thing to do? A flight response, which a number of people are more predisposed to that, is to ignore the email. Delete the email, never happened, I don't want to think about it, because it feels uncomfortable. It feels really uncomfortable to do that. So people who flee from discomfort, who are conflict avoidant, they have that flight response. Now the other type of personality are more aggressive, kind of type A personalities and they have more of the fight response. The fight response, of course, is where you want to write back to the client or the supervisor, say, what are you talking about? The, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm great, you're a jerk. <laughs> that is the kind of response that is immediate. And of course, neither of those responses are the, is correct. What you want to do is understand that the feedback likely came from a result of your internal systems and processes how you do things, how your organization does things. So you want to look at what's going on underneath that, underneath the surface, look at your systems, look at your processes, look at your organization, look at your behaviors, and see what caused the response. It's likely the, the response is something called, there's a root cause. And then decide how you will address this problem, and then write back, say, oh, hey, I realized what's going on, I'm sorry, you know, smooth ruffled feathers, and then address the problem, describe how you will address the problem, and then go ahead and address it. So this is a very complex set of behaviors where you have to go away from your intuitions, where you, from your intuitive responses, and have a very complex learned pattern of behaviors if you want to succeed, whether as a supervisor, as an executive who's placating clients, or if you're working within a company and you want to deal with your supervisor. Now, there are a couple of cognitive biases involved in that dynamic. When the flight response is most characteristic of people who have a pessimism bias. Pessimism bias is one of these cognitive biases, and it's like it sounds, where people tend to be pessimistic about the world. They see the world as full of threats, full of problems. It's a mostly hostile place. They tend to be risk averse. The opposite bias is called the optimism bias. And this tends to be much more frequent among startup founders, among CEOs. This is, these are people who are very optimistic about the future. They see the world as full of opportunities, as full of hope. They have a bright vision of the future. And they tend to be more aggressive in responding to threats, to have a fight response to threats. So that they see the, they are risk averse. Uh, they, I'm sorry, they're risk blind. 
So this is the fight response. And I'm one of these people. I see I am a founder of a startup with disaster avoidance experts, training, co training, consulting and coaching company that trains people on these sorts of topics. So I feel that way myself, this kind of aggressive optimism. And it's bad. You know, I have 20 ideas before breakfast and I think they're all brilliant. That is not a good thing. I've learned to my better experience that they're not all brilliant. So I know I have to control that and address that. But so many entrepreneurs, people who are at the top of organizations, either entrepreneurs who are starting up their own businesses or running small businesses, middle market businesses, running the largest businesses, they tend to be very visionary, optimistic and they tend to make a lot of mistakes because of those visionary impulses. Now you also have executives and ordinary professionals who tend to be pessimistic and they, you'll find them more in control functions. For example, the CFO or the COO or, and others in those sort of operational project management roles, control roles, the legal department would tend to be pessimistic and they would have that other sort of problem. So you want to understand that which where on that spectrum you're located and the spectrum from you know top optimism really high optimism to really high pessimism and you want to be able to catch yourself when you're falling into these dangerous judgment errors and address them in advance because we tend to be very prone to these dangerous judgment errors and again that's only two out of over a hundred cognitive biases wow do you talk about all those in your book i talk about the 30 most dangerous for business situations for your career, for running a business, for your finances, I think 100 would be a little bit overwhelming. So I talk about the 30 most dangerous ones okay. and how you can address them effectively. Okay, that very interesting. So, and what is one thing that you could recommend? Like, let's say that, all right, I've been going with my gut all this time. What is one exercise that you could share with me that could get me, move me towards more of that not gut reaction? So you want to always, when you're making a decision that you don't want to screw up, these are casual daily decisions that you make you know, two to 10 times a day. When let's say you're writing an important email or you're preparing for an important phone call or you're decide, or you're finalizing a report or something like that. So things you do regularly, daily. You want to ask yourself five questions to avoid decision disasters. Five questions that you ask yourself. It only takes a couple of minutes to go through them. So let's go through these five questions that you ask yourself. And if there's one thing you take away from this interview, take away these five questions. So first, what important information haven't I considered about this decision? So what evidence haven't you taken into account? It's very intuitive for us to look for information that confirms our beliefs and ignore information that doesn't. That's a cognitive bias called the confirmation bias. And there are a number of related ones to confirmation bias. So you want to look twice as hard at evidence that shows that you're wrong, that this confirms your belief. Because you know if you can't prove that you're wrong, that's good, you're more likely to be right. But if you can prove you're wrong, that's great because then you avoid making a bad decision. So let's say you're writing an email to a client to persuade that client to do something that you know the client should do and the client really knows in the back of their mind that they should do, but it would be a hassle, kind of a short-term pain for a long-term gain. If you ignore the reasons that the client might not want to do it, kind of the hassle, the problems, the stress that would be involved, then the client is going to be less likely to do what you want them to do than if you incorporate them into the email and say, hey, I know this is going to be problematic, but here's going to be hassles and stresses, but I'm confident you can overcome them. I'll help you. I'll support you. The client will be much more likely to do what you want them to do. So that's the first one. Second, 
what dangerous judgment errors am I not taking into account? And you have to know about the dangerous judgment errors, of course, the 30 most dangerous ones are described in my book. Never go with your gut, how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. So if you know, let's say that you're optimistic, that that's one of your predispositions and that's something you can learn from the book, whether you are or not, then that's something you can address in your email. You can make sure to read the draft and address any excessively optimistic aspects of it. Third question, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? So think about this question. What would you tell someone to do if you if you were their friend and they were in this exact situation? Take that outside view. Uh, the research shows that by taking an outside view, you get about 50% of the benefit of asking this question. And of course, you get the other 50% of the benefit by calling your trusted and objective advisor, or if you're a millennial, texting this person. <laughs> or how have I addressed all the ways that this could fail? So think about this email, that how can it fail? You're right now, let's say that there's a significant problem with a pandemic outbreak of COVID-19 in that person's area. And they're stuck at home, you know, their office is closed, they're not, not an essential business, their kids are stuck at home, so they're annoyed, frustrated, their kids are all over them. So you want to read the email, read the draft of the email as though you are in a bad mood and distracted and make remove anything that could be interpreted in a hostile manner and draw the client's attention to the most important parts of the email. And finally, fifth question, what would cause me to change my mind? So what would cause you to revise your decision about this question? Let's say with this email, you can have a revision point, say that if my client hasn't answered me in a week, I will give my client a call. That's a very clear and effective revision point. You know when you're going to be revising your, your perspective. If you don't have that revision point, you'll be kind of waiting day by day, wondering what will happen, you know, what, what's my client thinking about, you know, increasingly nervous and anxious. But if you have that revision point, you can let go of these thoughts and say, hey, I made a commitment to revise this question in a week and I'm not going to worry about it in the meantime. That's a much more effective approach. So those five questions, if you take away one thing from this interview, asking those five questions will be incredibly effective for you to avoid a lot of decision disasters to which we're prone. That is really good stuff. And I'm going to try to make sure we get those in the show notes just to kind of highlight those five questions. Um, so I think we have time for one more question, but what happens when someone makes a bad decision and how do they recognize it and how do they recover from it? Well, what they want to do is realize that we are overwhelmingly emotional decision makers. And this might feel difficult to accept because we think of ourselves as rational, logical beings who go forward with intentionality. But when you look at the research, our decisions are overwhelmingly driven by emotions. 80 to 90% of our decisions are driven by our emotions. So you have to accept that your decision is going to be emotionally driven. You can take steps to address it, but you know it's going to be hard. And sometimes I don't always overcome my optimism bias, for example and I fall into a number of other cognitive biases too. It's as a regular thing. I, of course, less so than I did and less, much less so than I would have if I didn't take steps to address them, but it still happens. So you, to recognize that you made a bad decision, you want to evaluate your emotions and see what's going on with you emotionally that caused you to make a bad decision. So recognizing that. And then you want to recognize the lack of desire to change your mind. The biggest problem with people making a bad decision is that they tend to stick to this decision after they make it. 
Mm-hmm. So this is incredibly difficult for people to overcome. This is called sunken costs. So when we in sunken costs refers to the fact that when we make a decision and when we invest some resources into it, we feel emotionally attached to it and we don't want to change our mind because then we lose the resources and even more importantly, we have to acknowledge that we're wrong. It feels very uncomfortable to acknowledge that we're wrong. So what you want to do to address that more broadly, globally, is to develop a taste for learning that you're wrong and changing your mind. You want to develop an attitude of humility and an attitude of desiring to be proved wrong. It's a hard thing to do to develop this attitude, but once you develop it, you're much more able to recognize when you are wrong and to be open to changing your mind. And it's a very valuable skill to learn. I have all of my clients practice this. It's incredibly valuable to develop this attitude an appetite for learning that you're wrong and the humility around your decision making. Wow. That sounds like a mindset issue to me. <laughs> it is. It is indeed a mindset issue. And there are, all of these are mindset issues. You're changing your fundamental mental structure, which is not wired for the modern environment. You're rewiring yourself to be essentially go from a primitive savage state, what Tony Robbins would advocate you should be, to a civilized state. What primitive and savage, of course, refers to you, the, this natural state, it refers to you being adapted for the savanna environment. And civilized means you're adapted for the modern environment. So you want to be civilized and adapted for the modern environment with your mental habits. I love it. I love it. So very quickly, and I, if I'm putting you on the spot, just say, don't know. But what would you say the top five most dangerous cognitive biases are? Hmm. So I talked about optimism bias and pessimism bias. Confirmation bias, I mentioned that, where we look for information that confirms our beliefs and ignore information that doesn't. Talked about sunken costs, where we tend to, once we invest into a decision, we tend to be very reluctant emotionally to let go of those resources and acknowledge that we're wrong. And the other one would be loss aversion. So we tend to be very reluctant to lose things. So, and that is a big problem for us because in order to make a good decision, we often need to make a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. But if we're not willing to make this short-term sacrifice and lose something to take that risk, we will be much worse off and we will not make that gain. So you want to be able to overcome that loss aversion and invest those resources it's especially difficult when you're dealing with other people to address relationship challenges in the workplace. You know, sometimes you want to not have certain relationships, you want to change your relationships, and that's difficult to do. It's very uncomfortable. So especially we have loss aversion around relationship issues because we are fundamentally tribal beings. So if you think back to that Savannah environment, it's very much a tribal environment. And so it's very hard for us to deal with some un- relationships that we shouldn't be having. Interesting. That that was really good and very much right in a little nutshell for those top five. Thank you so much for that. So I, I think I could sit here and talk to you all day about this stuff. This is right up my alley. I love this stuff. So I'm, I have a feeling you and I are going to have to stay in touch even after this so that I can ask you more Happy questions. Um, but for now, I'm going to wrap this up with our VIP questions. Are you ready for those? I'm happy to. This is the guy with the PhD. He's going to be like, what? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. So my first question is, if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I think I'd definitely take my wife. <laughs> that's a, that's a kind of no-brainer. Uh, I would absolutely take my wife with me. Then I would take someone who is an expert on Mars colonization. Because, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert in Mars colonization. So I'd want somebody who is, you know, top world expert in Mars colonization. And then uh, the last person I take is an excellent project manager, excellent and loyal project manager. Because I need someone to implement all of those projects that are necessary to colonize Mars. Yeah, that's really good. You thought about that one. <laughs> so, um, and this is a question that I love because it's it often gives me ideas, but it also reaffirms I'm on the right track. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I do journaling. So journaling is part of my, my broader morning routine. I have about a two-hour morning routine consisting of exercises, meditation, and journaling. And that really sets me up for success in the rest of the day and helps me be set in what I'm going to do. I love that. And I also meditate and journal in the morning. So yes, I'm on the right track. <laughs> um, okay, my final question for you. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Empowering others to make the wisest decisions. That's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. This has been so much fun. Gleb, how do people find you? They can check out my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters in bookstores everywhere. But in case they're not open around you, you know, with the COVID-19 and all, you can check it out online on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so on. It's traditionally published by Career Press, so it's available in bookstores everywhere. And if you want an audio, uh, there's digital copy, physical copy. If you like audiobooks, check out an audio copy on audible.com. Now, for my own resources, you can check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com. There's blogs, videos, podcasts, decision aids, guides, manuals, online classes, virtual consulting, coaching, and training, virtual for now with the pandemic, of course. Finally, especially check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe for a free eight video-based module course on making the wisest decisions. So again, eight video-based modules on making the wisest decisions an assessment on the most dangerous judgment errors in the workplace at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Oh, I'm so checking that out. That might be my homework tonight. So awesome. Well, Gleb, this has been amazing. And I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP. Thank you so much, Casey. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.